with you this morning. I want to start out with a couple of updates. Um, as most of you know, I think, that we have a service project that's coming up, going to Portales to the children's home there to do a variety of projects. That is just a little over a month away. And one of the things that we're doing is some of us are going down there, we're using our hands and our muscles and our skills to do things there. Others of us aren't able to do that, but one of the great things about the body is we're able to do other things to help and support that. And one of the things that you can do is, number one, pray for that. The second is, is you can reach into your pocket and feed the birdhouse. There's a birdhouse hanging at the very back. We're hoping to raise $5,000 to pay for those projects. They'll be going on during that week. We're over $2,000 already. If you'll continue to feed the birdhouse over the next several weeks, I have no doubt we'll get to that $5,000 mark and be able to complete all the projects like we want to. I also want to give you a Project 6K update. Project 6K is our challenge here at Netherwood Park in 2016 to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible collectively as a body, as a church. And to date, we have read 3,675 books of the Bible. So we are well on our way, making great progress. So keep up the good work. Keep reading your Bibles. Keep reporting the results. And as a body, let's stay immersed in God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for every day. Help us, Father, to realize the gifts that you have given us in just being able to to live and to breathe. Help us to give you praise and glory and honor for your creation and what you continue to do around us and for us and through us. And Father, we confess that we are people who are often pulled many different directions. And Father, forgive us when those directions pull us away from you. Father, our desire, our heart's desire, is to have you foremost in our lives. Father, give us the discipline that we need so that we can truly be disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we look forward to what you are going to do through this body. And Father, we pray this through the Son, your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So this morning, we're going to turn our attention back to the body. As we've been exploring our 2016 theme, which is equipped to serve, we found it very useful to follow Paul's example and talk about the church as a body. Talk about the church as a body with many parts. A body with many parts that have many different roles and many different functions. Talk about the church as a body with Jesus Christ as its head. Talk about the body as it's designed to do much more together than we could ever do just on our own. Paul talked about the church as a body in many different ways, in many different places. And in in Ephesians, as he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, he talks about the body this way. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Paul writes, It was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul paints this picture of the church as a body, a specific kind of body. And that's the kind of body, that's the kind of church we're striving to be. That's the kind of body we are determined to be. Hopefully you'll remember that in the past weeks we've said that we are determined to be a body that is able to do unimaginable things. We're determined to be a body that does remarkable things. The remarkable things we've been genetically gifted by our Father God to do. And we're determined to be a body that does the amazing things that our Father has prepared in advance for us to do. To use Paul's language, we are determined to be a grown-up body. We're determined to be a built-up body. We're determined to be a trained-up body, a strong body, a healthy body. We're determined to be a body that can run like Usain Bolt and jump like Mike Powell. That's the body we're determined to be. But we know that that doesn't just happen Almost all of us know from oftentimes painful experience that physical fitness and physical health certainly doesn't just happen. We know that getting physically fit and getting physically healthy and maintaining fitness and maintaining health doesn't just happen. We know that it requires significant discipline. We all know that, right? We know that you can't spend all of your time laying on the couch eating Cheetos and and drinking root beer and be physically fit, being physically healthy. We know that being truly physically fit and healthy requires discipline. We know it takes time. We know that there aren't any shortcuts. We know that it takes effort. It's not something that someone else can do for you. We know that it requires consistency. We know that just one workout doesn't bring you fitness. We know that an occasional workout won't bring you fitness. We know that only consistent workouts bring fitness. And we also know that being truly fit and truly healthy requires healthy decision-making. We're consistently and constantly faced with choices that we have to make. Should I eat that Krispy Kreme donut that they were selling at the coffee bar or not? We have to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. And the fact that physical fitness and health requires that kind of investment doesn't really surprise us. We know that that's the way the world works. We know that things that matter really require significant personal investment on our part. And the thing that matters the most is what we should invest the most in. See, the more that something matters, the more we should be willing to invest. And nothing matters more than our spiritual health. Nothing matters more than our spiritual fitness. 
as we heard Paul tell Timothy in our scripture reading, he said, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and for the life to come. So we should be even more concerned and even more invested in our spiritual health and fitness than we are in our physical well-being. And the importance of being spiritually healthy and being spiritually fit, the necessity of being spiritually equipped is highlighted throughout the Bible. It's a topic that's brought up over and over again. In fact, the Christian walk that we talk so much about really isn't talked about in the Bible as a walk at all. Instead, following Jesus is described as a race. It's described as a fight. It's described as a battle. And for those of us who have signed up for that race, for those of us who have signed on for the fight, for those of us who have joined in the battle, we must be spiritually healthy. We must be spiritually fit. We must be spiritually armored to complete the race, to win the battle. But I don't think we're always really sure how we go about doing that. I don't think we're always really sure about how you become spiritually fit, how you become armored. How does someone become and remain spiritually healthy? How do you go about becoming spiritually fit? How do you put on the full armor of God so you're able to stand firm? Well, just like physical health and fitness, spiritual health and fitness doesn't just happen. Like physical health and fitness, spiritual health and fitness requires, requires discipline. It requires time. It requires effort. It requires consistency. And it also requires the discipline to say yes to those things we should say yes to and no to those things we should say no to. See, to run the race, to fight the fight, to engage in the battle, to follow Jesus Christ, to do the one thing that matters the very most, we must make a significant personal investment in our spiritual health, in our spiritual fitness. To be spiritually healthy, to be spiritually fit, to be spiritually armored, we all need to engage in disciplined spiritual practice in disciplined spiritual training. It's true for us individually, but it's also true for us as a body. If this body, if this church is going to be spiritually healthy and fit and armored, every member of this body, every part of this body, must be engaged in disciplined spiritual practice. Otherwise, it just won't happen That's how we as a body train for the race. That's how we build ourselves up for the fight. It's how we prepare ourselves for the battle. It's how we're able to wear the armor. We're able to do those things through our disciplined spiritual training, through our strict spiritual training. Paul talked about the importance of disciplined and strict training when he wrote to the church in Corinth. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning, in ver- beginning with verse 24, Paul writes this. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And he says, Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to, co- to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I don't know about you, but for me, those are kind of stinging words. Paul's words have a certain sting for me because they have certain truth for me. You see, I'm one of those people who has actually been fairly disciplined. I'm one of those people who've actually been fairly strict when it comes to my physical health and my physical fitness. I've invested a lot of time and a lot of effort over the years in my physical health and in my physical fitness. I'm one of those weird people who consistently exercises. I usually make good decisions when it comes to what I eat and what I drink. When it comes to my physical health and when it comes to my physical fitness, I run with a purpose. I fight with a plan. I'm disciplined. I practice strict training. I'm out to win prizes. But Paul's words sting because it makes me realize that I'm out to do all of that for a temporary prize. Paul reminds me that any prize that I win, any health that I might attain, any fitness that I might attain is temporary. He reminds me that my strictly trained body is going to be laid in a grave every bit as much as anybody else's couch potato body is going to be laid in a grave. That's the end that there is for me. It's the end there is for all of us. So Paul's words sting. They sting because he reminds me that my physical discipline is only of some value. But even more, his words sting because he reminds me that I am often more disciplined physically than I am spiritually. Paul's words sting because spiritually I'm prone to run aimlessly. They sting because spiritually I am prone to beat the air without any real purpose. Paul's words sting because I wonder how spiritually healthy and how spiritually fit I would be if I was as disciplined spiritually as I am physically. I wonder how spiritually built up and armored I would be if I was as strict spiritually as I am physically. Paul's words sting. They sting because I wonder what God could accomplish through me if I was as disciplined spiritually as I am physically. Maybe you can relate. For you, it may not be your discipline physically. It may be your discipline in your career or the discipline you have in a hobby or the discipline you have in your education, or maybe the discipline you have in learning to play a musical instrument, or any number of other things. But I'm convinced that many of us 
In fact, I think probably most of us have areas in our lives where we are very disciplined, where we are very strict, likely more disciplined and more strict than we are spiritually. I'm convinced that most of us have areas where we make more significant personal investments in those things than we do in our spiritual lives. I'm convinced that most of us have areas of our life where we're consistently investing more time and effort than we do in our spiritual lives. I have to wonder, I have to even dream about how spiritually healthy and how spiritually fit this body would be if each one of us were as disciplined spiritually as we are in those other areas of our lives. And I wonder, I wonder how spiritually built up, how spiritually armored this body would be if each body part, if each member of this church trained us strictly spiritually as we do in other areas of our life. And I certainly wonder and I certainly dream about what God would accomplish, what God could accomplish through this body, through this church, if each and every one of us was as disciplined spiritually as we are in other areas of our lives. And I think it's time for all of us to get really serious about going into strict spiritual training I think it's time for all of us to bring strict spiritual discipline into our lives. So over the next several weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about strict training. We're going to talk about spiritual discipline. And we're especially going to talk about spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about spiritual practices. We're going to talk about spiritual habits that we can each adopt. That we can make a part of our lives to help keep us from running aimlessly. To help keep us from beating the air without any purpose. Over the next several weeks, we'll be talking about making consistent personal investments into what matters the most. Into our spiritual lives. Our life in this life and in the life to come. So over the next several weeks, we'll explore living a disciplined spiritual life. And we'll consistently remind ourselves, we'll consistently remind each other that our goal isn't to just add more activity to our lives. Most of us have more than enough activity in our lives. And our goal also isn't just to appear more spiritual to the people who are around us. We're not going to be focused on what we look like. We're going to be focused on who we are. See, our goal in becoming more disciplined spiritually is so that we can become more godly. The goal of spiritual discipline is godliness. It works like this. As we become more disciplined, we become more like Jesus. We become more like God in the flesh. And as we become more like Jesus, we spend more time with Jesus. But the really cool thing about this is the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. And as we spend more time with Jesus, and as we become more like Jesus, 
We grow spiritually. Jesus builds us up. And as he grows and builds us up, he'll prepare us to face life's challenges. Challenges. He'll give us his full armor. Spiritual discipline isn't about making ourselves into some kind of super Christians. It isn't about making ourselves through our incredible willpower and our amazing self-control. It's not making us where we are able to accomplish unimaginable things through our own powers. It's not what spiritual discipline is about. Spiritual discipline isn't us standing before the world and announcing, never fear, the super Christians are here. It's not what it's about. Spiritual discipline is about control. But it's about taking control from the world around us. It's about taking control from those things who have us enslaved now. Taking control from those and then turning our control over to God. Giving up control to God. See, spiritual discipline frees us from the slavery of self-interest. Of always making our decisions based on what I want. It frees us from the slavery of running after those crowns that just don't last. Those temporary crowns. See, having spiritual discipline means that we practice and we gain self-control so we can give God all control. And spiritual discipline puts us into the presence of God. It places us under his control. It places us under his power. When we're spiritually disciplined, we, we place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. So he can equip us. So he can build us up. Equip us and build us up so we can announce to the world, never fear, our God is here. So we've been talking for weeks, we've been talking for months about being equipped, about being built up. Now we're going to talk about how that actually happens. And how it happens is by gaining spiritual discipline. Gaining spiritual discipline. Well, how do we gain spiritual discipline? We gain spiritual discipline the same way that we gain physical discipline. We do it through training We do it through practice. We gain spiritual lives by consistently devoting time and devoting effort to spiritual practices. We'll gain spiritual lives. We'll gain disciplined spiritual lives by consistently devoting time and effort to what have come to be known as the spiritual disciplines. Don't let those words scare you, spiritual disciplines. They're simply spiritual practices. They're spiritual activities that lead to spiritual health. They lead to spiritual fitness. So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about a variety of spiritual disciplines. And as we're talking about those disciplines, we'll explore the way that each particular practice, each particular discipline can be useful, what it can do for us. We'll examine what they can do to help bring spiritual health and spiritual fitness. And as we're doing that, we'll suggest some practical ways that we can each introduce those various disciplines into our lives. 
So they won't just be practices, they'll become spiritual habits. And as we're doing that, we'll prayerfully consider whether to begin practicing each of those individual disciplines in our individual lives. But there's some things I need to do before we continue with this discussion. I want to issue some warnings about spiritual disciplines. I want to raise some red flags, if you will, about the spiritual disciplines. There are a few things that we all need to watch out for as we are studying these various disciplines. So warning number one, you all need to know that spiritual disciplines that we explore, they're all simple. They're really simple, but they're also really hard. All the spiritual disciplines we'll talk about are simple, but they aren't easy. They're just like many physical fitness disciplines we know about. Many of those are very simple, but they're not easy. You know, lifting weights and running, those are really fairly simple activities. But I'm here to tell you they're not easy activities. And the same is true of spiritual disciplines. So the first warning is that these disciplines are simple, but they won't be easy. The second warning that I want to give you is that you need to know that the mechanics of a discipline, that knowing the mechanics of a discipline doesn't mean that you are practicing that discipline. Again, to talk about physical fitness, you can know how to lift weights and you can know how to run, but that doesn't mean that you're lifting and running unless you actually engage in those activities. So we don't want this to be just an intellectual exercise where we know the mechanics of doing something. We want to actually be doing those things. So second warning is we won't be just focused on the mechanics of a spiritual discipline we'll be focusing on actually doing those spiritual disciplines. Third warning. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines really can't do anything. But what they can do is they can take us to a place where something can be done. Something can be done with us. Something can be done through us. They can take us, they can help take us into the very presence of God. So the third warning is spiritual disciplines by themselves don't really do anything, but they take us to a place where something can be done. Fourth and final warning. This warning is about making spiritual disciplines law. About making them requirements. About forcing them on each other. See, when we do that, they go from being helpful to just a means to manipulate and control other people. See, the disciplines we're going to talk about, they're not law. They're useful spiritual practices. They're a spiritual means to a spiritual end. They don't make you healthy, but they can sure lead you to health. They don't make you fit, but they can certainly lead you to fitness. But we can't make the same mistake that the Pharisees made. We can't confuse outward spiritual activity for inward spirituality. So we must, have, we must heed these warnings. They're simple, but they're not easy. They don't do anything in and of themselves, but they take us to a place where we can be transformed. Just knowing the mechanics isn't what we're after. We want to actually practice the disciplines.
And we must not use these spiritual disciplines as laws to manipulate other people, our brothers and sisters. So, what are we going to be talking about? What kind of spiritual practices, what kind of spiritual disciplines are we going to be talking about over the next several weeks? Well, some of the disciplines that we're going to talk about are very personal, they're very private disciplines. We'll call these inward disciplines. Some examples of some of the inward disciplines we'll talk about are prayer. We'll talk about fasting. We'll talk about Bible study. And then there are other disciplines that are also very personal, but they're more public. They're easier to observe. We're going to call these the outward disciplines. Some examples of outward disciplines that we'll talk about are simplicity. We'll talk about solitude. We'll talk about submission. We'll talk about service. And then there are other disciplines that we'll talk about that are really interpersonal disciplines. These are disciplines that we do together as a body. We'll call these corporate disciplines. So we'll talk about things like confession. We'll talk about worship. We'll talk about fellowship. We'll talk about celebration. We'll talk about all of these disciplines. And we need to remember these disciplines are not law. But make no mistake, they are not law, but they are very biblical. Also know that these disciplines aren't some kind of modern invention. These are ancient practices. These are ancient practices that God's people have been doing for centuries. They're ancient practices that have great value to us today. Great value if we want to lead disciplined spiritual lives. The disciplines have great value for us today. If we want to stop wondering, if we want to stop dreaming about what God could accomplish through this body, if only each of us was as disciplined spiritually as we are in other areas of our life. They have great value. Because if we will become disciplined in our spiritual lives, we can stop wondering about what God could do through this body. And instead, we can just stand back and be amazed at the unimaginable things he is doing through this disciplined body. We can be amazed if we'll take control of our lives and if we'll give control to God. I want to end where we started out today. I want to end with a verse that we read from the prophet Jeremiah. It's the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. As he draws a contrast between two different kind of people. Between the people who aren't deeply rooted in God. Who don't lead spiritually disciplined lives. And then people who do lead disciplined lives. Who are deeply rooted in God. Who take their nourishment from God. Listen to the word of the Lord spoken through his prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. 
But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Netherwood Park, may we be people who trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord to remove our fear, to to remove our worries and bring fruit out of our disciplined lives. May we always be people who praise Him and who crown Him Lord of all, especially of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer to you is a prayer of confession. Father, we are people too often of this world and not of you. So, Father, I pray that you will take us out of worldliness and you'll bring us to godliness. Father, I pray that you will help us not to trust in anything but you. Help us not to have confidence in anything but you. Father, help us to be planted deeply in you. Father, help us to be people of confidence in you and not fear of the world. Help us to be people who have hope in you and not worry about the world. Father, help us be people who are devoted to you above all things. And Father, we pray this through your son, Jesus, who is the Christ. And all the church said, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together.